This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. Now this next topic one, I not only did I hear about it, but somebody very close to me, a very close family friend, called me in absolute distress about how they had been directly impacted by this. So last week in the afternoon, um, just after the show had wrapped, I get a call from a family friend of mine saying, Faith, something is going on when it comes to the way in which our bonds are being handled. To my surprise, I said, okay, cool, what's happened to you? And he went on to say that um, he's experienced a situation where, so this is how it is. So he recently bought a house, right? And he recently moved into into a home, built it from the ground up and the like. So he recently moved into a home. And because of the COVID-19 pandemic and everything else, he lost his job for about, I think it was about three months or so, that, was, that he was unemployed. But an arrangement was made with the bank to continue to pay once, the, the, once he had gotten back on his feet. So he got back on his feet, right? He got a job and he was then able to continue with the payments of the house as per normal. But this started getting tricky. He got a call from a bank, which I will not mention one day, and the bank basically said, your house is under foreclosure. In fact, we're going to sell your house. He got a call from lawyers saying, representing the bank, saying, we actually are in the process of, of um, selling your house. And not only that, your house has got a buyer. To which he said, how can my house have a buyer if when the three months that I was unemployed, I specifically stated I am and I made arrangements. And as soon as I got a job, I continued to pay my normal bond repayments. Now you call me and you say, everything that was agreed upon with the bank does not exist. Well, this said law firm said, no, sir, we are taking you to court and your house is going to be under sale. We're going to sell your house. Long story short, there was a back and forth between the court. My friend had to end up going to court on this matter. Obviously winning in court because they were not allowed to actually sell the house and in these court proceedings it was found out that a the arrangement indeed had been made to continue with the payments b the lawyers and the bank had no right to even solicit a seller or a buyer for the house that he was living in currently c how is it that you can already have an existing buyer of a house that should have never been sold in the first who's the buyer of the house and the question that arose from my friend was, if this is happening to me as an educated person, how many people is it happening to who do not know where to turn? So we thought, you know what, let's bring the conversation back home. Because if this happened to a friend of mine who is able to, to have the legal represent, the representation to allow him to fight this matter in court and win... How many South Africans are facing foreclosures and they don't even know their rights in that regard? 
this is the premise under which we have this conversation because it looks as though South Africa is among the most abusive, and statistics would actually say the most abusive countries in the world when it comes to foreclosure, with more than 100,000 homes sold at sheriff's auctions since the Constitution came into effect in 1995. I told you this earlier, but the foreclosure process is currently not regulated by any specific legislation, with the exception of Rule 46A of the Uniform Rules of Court. There's no statute that specifically governs foreclosure processes. South African law does also not provide clarity when flo- uh, on when foreclosure against a home is justifiable and when it is not, nor do they provide guidelines for the courts to consider during foreclosure proceedings. In fact, it was Lungelo led to Human Rights Foundation, which I'm going to introduce in just a second, along with hundreds of clients launching a class action suit against South African banks. This was in 2020. It was looking at exactly the very same issues of foreclosure. So when is it that a bank is allowed to sell your home? When can they bring on their lawyers? In fact, it was found in even um, one of the research I was doing that sometimes the houses get sold for as little as one rand. One rand. Your home. So when a bank repossesses your home, what happens? In often cases, it's been seen as though it's actually foreclosure is supposed to be the last resort when it comes to the way in which a bond is paid. But in many instances, it's being used as the first point of contact. So under what circumstances can banks actually take your home? That's the conversation we're having this afternoon. And we're going to get into it in just a moment. 12 to 3 p.m. Power Lunch with Faith Mangaope. Indeed, let's kick off this conversation. Under what circumstances can banks actually take your home? house and of course if you would like to if you would need help this afternoon or you need advice this afternoon especially pertaining to your property zero eight six one nine eight seven triple zero maybe this happened to you and you would like to know where to from here let's talk a little bit let me welcome my guests into this conversation Gwanda Vabaza the Ombudsman for Banking Services Management joins us this afternoon Gwanda never a dull moment when we're talking about finances thanks for coming back welcome to Power Lunch uh, good afternoon, uh, Faith and Akin. Uh, thank you for having us. We've also got uh, King Sibia, who's president of Lunge Lole to Human Rights Foundation. King, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Welcome to Power Lunch. Yeah, thank you so much, Faith. I was tempted to say maybe Faith Mazibuga, but I thought... <laughs> <laughs> But I am. Thank you very much. We've also got from Mujapilo, attorneys, Tepo Mujapilo. Tepo, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Welcome to Power Lunch. Hello, Faith. Thank you for having me once again and a good afternoon to all your listeners. And joining us in the studio, I keep telling him it's about time, Gerald Manabira, acting CEO of the South African Savings Institute. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Well, it's a pleasure, Faith. Well, I think banks, financial institutions, I mean, when I first saw this, maybe let's start off with you, um, King. Um, I mean, you put this class action uh, representing hundreds of clients against South African banks. I think it was in 2020 when we actually got a note of the story. But King, maybe paint the context for us in terms of what was happening or what is happening that we as South Africans don't know about. Okay. Thank you once more, Faith, again. Uh, as I said, my name is King Sibi. I'm representing Ilunga Let Human Rights Foundation. 
Uh, our foundation was established in 2014 uh, because I was an activist in the civic movement. So I'm clear about what is happening within the banking sector. Mm. So now, uh, in 2014, we made a research uh, to look how big is the problem around the evictions when we open up an organization, when we establish an organization. So we found out that with our, our, our uh, research uh, gave us very clear indication that, firstly, as a South African, uh, the South African legal system is worse than any other country. You know, uh, that uh, our legal processes uh, really have got a lot of loopholes. Uh, secondly, we found out that uh, the roles of the High Court, you know, a case that are brought to High Court, 80% are eviction and road accident fund. The third one is around the 31% of what we call it default judgment. The mm. default judgment meaning these are cases that the court uh, make a ruling in absentia of the defendant. Mm. So those are critical issues. So therefore, we also found out that property are sold as little as 10 rents, you know, 50 rents and 100 rents. Now the critical question becomes, logically, how then a house can be sold for 10 rents? You know, and, and now this is a, Biggest syndicate with bank to banks inside, you know. So those are the problems that we encountered. So therefore, our approach, firstly, technical approach, was firstly to change the law, uh, the Rule 46A. As we speak about Rule 46A, I want to really to emphasize on that because Rule 46A, because always when you go to court, We'll find the judge says to me, no, Mr. Sevilla, I hear you, but there is no reference, meaning the act has not been changed. So in 2018, the law has, on the 22nd of December 2017, and then the president enacted the gazette in terms of Rule 46, that no house can be sold without a market value, which is, I think, for me, that was a great achievement. Now, secondly, I want to come also to the issue that we're talking about. Uh, before the bank, you know, in all the affidavit of the bank, where the bank, you know, I don't want to say they are liars, but, you know, but I think the bank, uh, when they are speaking to public, mm. they are speaking a different language. When they are talking to it, it's a different language. So those are the areas that. Uh, in court, the bank, under the oath, they stated that could, uh, to repossess a house or foreclosure, it's a last resort. Uh, now, I can make an example to say before any uh, sale execution must take place, the bank are committed firstly to have what we call it meaningful engagement. Secondly, the bank must look at also the history of the client. Thirdly, the bank must send what we call it a litigation officer to your house. And then lastly, uh, there's this, what you call it, restructuring of the account. You see, the, the case that we just spoken about, your friends, that uh, the bank was supposed... You see, now the new rules are clear, are clear now. Uh, first and foremost, if I'm ready to pay uh, the, the areas. So, because you remember before, uh, when the bank issues summons, they are no longer claiming or for for what we call it in areas. Now they want all the amount, in other words, full outstanding amount. Mm. Now imagine if my, my areas were 66,000, 
then my full balance is 300,000. If then I can't pay 66,000, how am I going to pay 300,000? So there's no logic at all. Now the rules have changed. But finally, what I wanted to say to this, the client has a right now to sell the property, you know, on his own or on her own without even consulting the bank. So okay, those are opportunities that uh, we have in relation to a class action. And we're going to talk a little bit about this. Gerald, to, to bring you in here, I mean, to think that before 2018, these houses were going for about 10 rand. I mean, I read somewhere that even at one stage, a house was sold for one, one rand, you know. Um, and the story that I was relaying with of my friend just happened about two, three months ago which means that clearly there's still something that is happening within the banking sector that we're not talking about when it comes to the way in which banks are repossessing people's houses. And most of the times when you do the research behind it, it's black people's homes that are being repossessed and those that are from marginalized communities. From your perspective, what have been your observations? Well, my observations are simply that, you know, we need to demystify um, the reposition process to realize it's an entire industry. There's um, collections companies, there's attorneys, there's conveyances, and ultimately these people are all charging fees, you know. So Mm. um, it's funny that you say it's black people mainly, but it does seem to skew towards black people's homes being repossessed. But the whole industry is, is, is structured in that way. Corruption is also in the private sector. And I know the banks won't like to hear it on air, but there are also some some um, some unethical activities which happen with regards to fast tracking the sale of properties and cars involving banks and their service providers who are the collection agencies who find the buyers and all these things because as the gentleman was saying his house had a buyer how did it have a buyer um there's a clear process you're supposed to receive summons summons is supposed to sign and acknowledge receiving them so there's no way your house should even reach that stage without you having had many conversations um with the bank with the banks what i tend to also find is that the banks are very aggressive in terms of their collections agents which they use mm-hmm. and they intimidate um, anyone who doesn't know so as you said if you have no access to or to information you will crumble and buckle and give up your home for for next to nothing so it's a it's a it's it's, it's important that we're all educated to know our rights that we can always file a notice to defend once you receive summons and speak your case before a magistrate and do not be bullied by the financial institutions when they want to take repossession of their home um and i'm saying their home again faith because remember you I always, don't own, you you don't own you don't any house until un- you've paid it until off. you've paid it off that house is you're staying there at the pleasure of the bank mm. um, but some of the banks i have noted are extremely aggressive and some of their collections agents are less than ethical when it comes to fast tracking the sale of someone's property um, they don't show any empathy when they're dealing with the clients and they almost railroad you into uh, succumbing and when all is done they still throw a fat legal bill on you and remember the legal bills which these attorneys use are for the banks who pay whatever they are charged yeah because so, the legal representatives are representing the banks but then when they when they come and claim they claim it from you at the same rate they would have charged their bank who's got deep pockets and these are not cheap attorneys hence why they're even more intimidating 
you know, Kwanda, how many of those cases, and I mean, as I was, you were listening to King, um, who actually was launched or launched this class action suit against South African banks in 2020, hundreds of clients, but as the ombudsman for banking services, how much do you know about what's going on? How many cases do you guys come across that speak to this very same thing where banks are repossessing houses as a first point of option instead of it being the last point of options and even having a buyer on standby to take the house? Um, I must say, Faith, um, uh, it's quite new information from our side, and I can obviously only speak uh, from the matters that we've uh, received and investigated as an office. Now, I I think uh, from the information and the cases that we've dealt with, we've seen um, repossession, any repossession, whether it's houses or uh, it's a foreclosure or whether it's a vehicle, we see it as a last resort. And we think it is a last resort, and King actually mentioned it, that there actually must be first a meaningful engagement uh, between the parties. But the problem that we've seen as an office is that people, once they start defaulting, they know that they're going to receive a call from a bank or another credit provider. And instead of them answering those calls, now they avoid taking a private calls. They avoid responding to emails. And because of that, you're now blocking, obviously, that meaningful engagement that could have been had, which would have eventually possibly prevented uh, the foreclosure or the repossession of the vehicle. And again, we say uh, foreclosures and uh, repossessions, they're the last option, because before it even gets to that, yes, you will get a call from a bank uh, uh, consultant, debt collector, uh, informing you that your account is in areas, make a payment. And if obviously you know you do not respond to that uh, debt collector, then it moves to what we call a mitigation uh, uh, consultant. Now that mitigation consultant actually goes as far as physically visiting the the, the customer to try and obviously offer that customer options, the options that are available before the sale. So they will uh, inform you that you actually have the option of either selling the property through a bank-assisted sale if it's a house, yeah. or if it is a vehicle. We have, we have the option of voluntarily surrendering that vehicle, and they will obviously explain the benefits and the consequences of all those processes. You, no, Gwanda, as you're speaking about this, and you're saying that that mitigation consultant is supposed to sit and try to assist, ne? not bully, Correct. you say that, not assisting. Bully. But yes, Gerald exactly. is busy looking at me saying, no, that's not what happens. So Gerald, speaks to, speak to us about what actually happens on the ground. What happens on the ground is that some scary-looking looking big... Um, previously advantaged group guy appears. So at your a white house. guy, can I say it? Yeah, it's a white man. It. All right, big, scary white man um, who speaks little English who come and drop a letter at your house, and that letter normally is I've come to collect your vehicle, or we've come to serve to collect your house. Um, yeah. There's no friendliness there. There are no soft skills training which have happened. These are people who are ready for war. Normally, if it's a vehicle they're collecting, there's two of them in the car, so you're already intimidated. Um, if you're a lady, you're even more intimidated. They'll pick up the car at a shopping mall if necessary. They use the tracker to find their, their vehicle. Um, if it's a home, same story. There, there's no talking. Um, on the ground, Mr. Ombudsman, I'll tell you, that's not happening. The banks don't talk. 
They appoint service providers who are, have zero empathy, zero soft skills. They intimidate people into signing documents and accepting documents. They're not aware what they're doing. And before you know it, you read it now, and it's now in the high court in the case, in the affidavits, um, you know, that this is what happened. But in my experience, when I've dealt with people who are at risk of losing their homes, they're in tears. They are extremely scared and extremely intimidated. Yeah. They are not given any sense of... We can talk. Well, on that note, we'll come back and deliberate more on it. Urgent, topical, timely. Power 98.7, getting you talking about what matters. Indeed we are. We're getting you talking about what matters. We're going to go into the phone lines in just a moment. We're going to help you out this afternoon. I see many of you wanting to to uh, have your voice heard and we're going to open the lines so that we can talk a little bit about foreclosure. Under what circumstances can banks take your house as we're finding right and even evidence that was presented before the high court in 2020 it detailed how banks have abused the court processes to have people evicted from their homes for arrears amounts that were frequently trivial the result is that families were also left homeless and destitute the banks have actually claimed they resort to sales and execution as a last resort but Loletu who is joining us this afternoon, said that the evidence showed that this was not the the case. In fact, foreclosure is often used as a first resort, which is against the law and the constitution. So when can the bank repossess your house? All of these stories and the stories about foreclosures and the big scary man that Gerald was mentioning um, who comes in and wants to take your, your, who's supposed to be a mitigation consultant but rather is a bullying consultant who wants to take your, your home. But how many of us actually understand the law when it comes to this? Because from what we're understanding, the foreclosure process is not regulated by any specific legislation except for Rule 46A. That is so correct, Nefeith. Um, the problem, and I heard one of the, um, the panelists saying there, that we need to be properly educated. Because once we are properly educated, you know exactly the steps that you need to take when you either receive communication in the form of a letter, a call, or a letter of demand coming from the bank. So the issue here still stems from the fact that once you have been given a letter of demand or once you get any call from any bank, you need to start actioning it there, Faith. And that's where your, 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 your defense starts. Because as soon as you are able to show in a court of law that I have been trying to get hold of the bank for X, Y, and Z, I've been trying to make arrangements for a repayment or um, arrangements to show that I've gotten my job back and all of those. You create um, your own evidence so that when the matter goes to actual court, you are able to have something to fall back on. Mm. But again, the issue still is that if you are uneducated and you don't know what to do, it's very easy for the banks to bulldoze you. But you can help the probes by obviously being proactive and keeping a record of all the communications between you and the bank. You know, I've got one question here that comes in from Rufilwe, and I see a lot of the questions also coming in. I'll try to answer it. Rufilwe says, Faith, I, want, I once owed the bank one month of my mortgage. Mm. I requested to pay that over two months, right? NetBank refused and said I must restructure, which was not the best option for me because it increased the debt substantially. Can mm. banks do that? Can they refuse when you say I owe one month? Can I pay half of that month now and then pay the other half next month? This goes again to the bulldozing of the banks. So ordinarily, once you miss, or or legally speaking, once you miss one payment, 
um, it, it, you are in actual fact in breach of the contract that you signed with the with the bank, and because you are in breach, then the contractual um, terms flow through that breach of of, 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 of of contract. It can either say that you must remedy your breach within a certain number of days, and usually what happens practically is that if you're in breach, let's say of one month, um, the bank will then send you an SMS or an email to say that you have defaulted. Now, contractually speaking, what the contract of the contract that you signed with the bank says will determine if what they're doing is lawful or not. So if in the contract it states that the bank must give you notification and must put you in 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 in, in mora and more I mean they basically state that faith you owe us ten thousand rand on the bond, mm. you must pay this amount within seven working days, failing which um, further legal action will be taken against you. If that's what the contract states, then that's exactly what the bank has to do. Now, if you skip one month, usually you can get away really with speaking to the bank to say, I'll pay this over this many months. Um, we can do, You can get into that arrangement. But if the bank is bulldozing you, that's when you'd really need to scrutinize the contract to say, what does the actual contract stay, um, state with regards to late payments? And more importantly, Faith, um, I, I have to say this, before even the matter goes to court or even during, whenever, during the process where they are going after you for areas and whatever, consumers need to know that for the mere fact of you settling the debt, that automatically reinstates your um, your credit agreement because the nature of the claim that goes to court is that you have breached the contract, therefore they want you to pay all the monies that you owe on the uh, uh, on the house and also for them to repossess the house. But as soon as you pay the areas, and unfortunately you also have to pay the attorney fees and all of those, it then automatically reinstates that credit agreement and they would basically have to start the whole process all over again if you default the second time. Sure. Zero eight six one nine eight seven triple zero. Let's go straight to the phone lines. Sunny boy in Pinoni, hi. Good afternoon. Uh, you know the banks are liars. The biggest liars. Those people who are working at the banks are liars. I'm glad that you brought them in one roof. Uh, they say this, you know, thank I'm working in finance. Mm. Uh, what they are saying, like right now, you've got a situation, your vehicle. Uh, they say to you, no, faith, uh, bring the vehicle back to us, and then nothing is going to happen. Once you hand over that vehicle, uh, faith, uh, next month, come, I tell you, when you try to apply for something, it just tells you uh, your vehicle has been repossessed. This is another way of trying to bring your vehicle uh, uh, so that uh, those guys, uh, the, the repo guys, mm. uh, the machine have uh, difficulties uh, of, uh, of getting uh, hold of the vehicle. So why they are not so honest uh, to clients, uh, these uh, institutions? Why they are not honest? Why they are preaching this language here and then they do the other things? Well, that's what we're going to attempt to find out, Sunny Boy, today. And more than importantly enough, if those financial institutions are failing to answer that very question of why is it that they're not speaking the truth to the public, at least let's arm the public with enough knowledge so you know how to protect yourself and you understand what your rights are in that regard. Let me go to Warren in Pretoria. Hello, Warren. Hi, Faith. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. And you, sir, go ahead. Yes. Uh, These guys are just using radio terminology. They are bullies, eh? Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of my myself. Uh, during COVID, we were uh, we were retrenched, right? Mm-hmm. 
So I, I, I spoke to the bank. You know, when you speak to them to say, this is what's happening, you're actually putting yourself on the line. They abuse you. And then initially they refused to say, okay, can we make an arrangement to pay when I get my uh, UIF payment? They refused totally, right? And then they, I spoke to, to one of my friends who's a lawyer. He's like, you know what, if they are refusing, that's fine. Mm. But when they send their people, don't give them the car. You must ask for a court order. You know what I mean? Mm, mm. And that's what they did. They sent this white, huge guy, you know? Oh, and, so and Gerald was right. They sent a huge white yeah, guy. Mm. Very huge. And things like, you know, that African English and what, what. And it was like, hey, I'm from West Bank. I'm here to get your car. He does not even tell you anything else. I'm like, okay. I was, because I was at the, at the filling station, I'm like, okay, can we go somewhere? Because mm. I was trying to buy time now so that I can calm my brain down and start to think. Mm. When we got there, and I was like, okay, let me try and get my friends, see if they can give me some amount. But he had said, no, I'm giving you three weeks to come up with the rest of the amount. If you don't, then I'm taking, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll sell the car, I'll auction the car to try and cover the, the whatever. Then I, get, I got hold of my friend. It's like, then the first thing that she asked me is like, do you want to give the, the car? I'm like, no. I said, no, tell them to, to, show, to show you the, the order. The, the, what do you call it? Then I'm like, no, he's not showing me anything. I'm looking, let me speak to him. Then when she spoke to, to him, he was like, no, you cannot take that car. Do you have anything from the, from the court that says you are, you are you're taking that? Or at least anything that shows that you are from West Bank. Mm. And then he's, he's showing me something that is on the screen of his car. It's like, you can see, I can access your account. No, 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 don't show him what is on your computer. Show him paperwork from the bank. That shows you're actually from the bank, and then the bank went and got something from the court to say you can get the car. He couldn't do that. He didn't That's even have that information. Did. Sorry? I'm saying he, he didn't, didn't even have it. have it. He didn't have it. Sure. They are in cohort with, 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 with the tracker guys. As soon as they, they, they sure. maybe the bank flags your car or your account, as soon as they realize that, they, they talk with the, with the tracker guys and find you and come to you and abuse you. He did not even give me any information about this is what we can do for you, whatever. He only wanted was like, if you've got anything in your car that you need, I can take you home. You take it out and I'm taking the car. That's it. Warren, thank you very much for bringing it into our attention. Um, we you. really do appreciate it. Kwanda, you were talking about mitigation consultants. It looks as though these mitigation consultants are not consulting, but are actually bullying. So, yes, um, I actually wanted this uh, to also just add on what uh, King said earlier. So, yes, they may definitely be misrepresentation from a, a debt collector who obviously acting for the banks. But I think consumers are the, the only thing they need to know and be aware of is that any repossession that would happen, and I think the last caller mentioned it, it will definitely be through a court order. I mean, any person who comes to you uh, to come repossess your car, or if they saying they there to, I don't know, for a foreclosure at your house, they definitely need to produce an original court order with a warrant of execution. If they do not have that document, mm. then the only other way with the vehicle that they will take it is if you voluntarily give it to them. And if you obviously voluntarily give it to them and you sign that document saying you're giving the car to them and terminating that relationship with them, then it becomes a bit difficult for us as the organization, as the Ombudsman for Banking Services, uh, to obviously uh, 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 to argue successfully with the bank when a consumer comes and says they are intimidated. Because if you're going to try and allege or come and allege intimidation, unfortunately, you're going to have to, I don't know, pro- provide some proof, whether it's in court or it's here 
at the ombuds. Provide us with proof that you were intimidated. Then we'll definitely deal with uh, a bank that does that. Uh, and yes, we do offer distress and inconvenience awards in situations where the bank did not follow the correct pro- processes. Mm. Um, so yes, to a certain extent, I do agree with King that yes, it may be happening. But again, consumers out there, they also need to be educated as to when exactly repossession can take place. Well, then, King, it sounds like a syndicate, this thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you also, Faith. But uh, I think, Faith, I want to raise two things that I think yeah. from the discussion point of view. One is to surrender the account. You see, this is a danger on the side. What I have, what I observe with all my clients, uh, if the client says, no, I've lost a job, you know, the bank, they, they are developing, uh, surrendering uh, uh, documents to say we are failing to do, why the client has not even agreed. Now, I've got a lot of cases where the client, they don't even know that they have surrendered, they have signed the, the logos and an affidavit of surrendering. Now, once they have surrendered, it must go to the Master of High Court uh, in terms of Insolvent Act, Act 34 of, 24 of 1936, which is uh, one of the issues. But the last issue that I want to spoke about it, because this is an interview, uh, the danger, you see, your car has been repossessed, your house has been repossessed, but you, have, you need to still also to pay a shortfall. Now, always my critical question to the bank, what this should fall for? Because in the court order, there is no shortfall. So where does this shortfall go to? And for how long again? You see, you you, so this you. is a daylight robbery, uh, in short and brief. But also, I want to talk about this issue of summons. I think my attorney has covered very well. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, you must also remember, these people that have defaulted, they don't have money. On the other side, now they are faced with two problems. Because the other one, they must get illegally seized. On the other side, they need to pay the bank. Did you understand the situation? Mm, how mm. you know the judges? You know, I like this team of the judges. They always say, in particular, Judge Home. He said, "No, the man is down and out. How do you expect cost? I must give you cost while the man is down and out." Which is true, you see. So therefore, my point is that, Guti. My, you see, my suggestion is it should be, please, faith. I'm, I, I'm asking that, good all the people that are receiving summons, they must come to us, faith. Because, you know, it is important that we save the cost of the client. I hear you. Gerald, you know, um, as I was saying that this actually does sound like a like a like like an actual syndicate where there are so many interested parties. And when you don't know the process of foreclosure or up to foreclosure, that you can literally be caught with somebody wanting to buy your house, with somebody wanting to bully you out of your home or even your vehicle. And there are so many invested interests in ensuring that you lose that item that you possess. Look, I think, you know, I think this speaks to taking our education to the next level. Let's start reading these contracts and challenging them. You know, just because it's coming from a bank doesn't mean you agree with every clause. Interrogate the document. And also, it speaks to transformation. Mm. I'm yet to hear of someone who tells me that the repossession agent who came was black. Why? We need to ask the banks, why is it that 100% of your repossession agents, 100% of the sheriffs of the court, or most of them who you appoint, are white? Because one of the things which would de-intimidate me is someone speaking my language. How about starting there? 
How about sending someone who's going to speak to me in Isizulu or Isitkosa or, or Susutu and explain this is what's happening. Um, I've been sent by the bank. I'm here to help you. No, they sent someone who immediately cannot speak your language with holding a thick legal document who looks intimidating. I have a problem with that because that just that just shows that the banks haven't pushed this transformation agenda in that area. Same thing with all of the attorneys who tend to do these repossessions. Mm. They are white Africana firms. And I'll say it on air. The banks can defend themselves on air again. They can contact Power FM. But for today, we know that most of your attorneys in panels are, 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 are non are from the advantage groups because they've had contracts with you for years. Your collections agents are not from our uh, majority representation and your collections agents. So it creates a chain of fear. The first time I'll see someone who speaks my language is when I go to the ombudsman, by which point they've got a file on me. And yes, I also do agree with our attorney that always pick up the phone. Don't be afraid of those guys. Tell them. And every time they phone, tell them currently, tell them the truth. I don't currently have the money. I am looking for it because they are forced to record it. Now I record that call and say, I told them this on this day. The worst thing you can do to yourself is ignore. You know, mm-hmm. even when you receive that thick summons document, put it aside. Um, you can contact me on social media. I'll give you a template for a notice to defend. You fill in this thing. You take it to the court yourself. Get it stamped by the click of the court. The bank can't do anything at that point. Default judgment means that you never responded to the summons, which means that you didn't take up the opportunity to speak for yourself. Let's not give up our rights. Yes, it's the bank's house. Yes, it's the bank's car. But they owe us the respect of knowing that these homes are primary residences and they are primary vehicles. I cannot make a living if I don't have that vehicle. Therefore, the bank can't now take the very thing which can help me pay them. Back to the phone lines. Let me go to Shish, uh, Tabo in Midrand. Hi, Tabo. Um, Dumela Memphis, Mangope, and your, and your guest. Hello, studio. sir. Go ahead. Yeah, quick. Uh, there's a couple of quick points. I don't, I don't want to delay. Um, number one, to, to everyone listening in the whole of South Africa, the banks are not your friend. Number two, um, the banks are lily white. We're, and the worst thing for me is that they appoint like CEOs, COOs, and other people in high positions and whatever, but they've got power to do absolutely nothing, you know. Um, the fabric of corruption in the private sector, it's, 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 it's astonishing. If, if we were to um, put a microscope on, the fabri- uh, on, on, on corruption in the private sector as we do in government, scary mm. numbers are going to come out. Scary numbers are going to come out. You know? Why looking after themselves? White people looking after white people, and that's it, and that's what they can do. And it's not called corruption or nepotism in inverted commas. Uh, my situation, in, in, in a nutshell, uh, my house was almost deposited. I think it was about seven, seven, eight years ago. Seven, mm-hmm. seven eight years ago, yeah, we lost two years in COVID. And I was lucky enough that I had a decent uh, boss who actually loaned me the money um, to actually pay off that debt because they told me that my house is getting deposited. They're selling it in the next week or so or something like what? that, you know, and, and, and stupid me, I was, I was, I was owing the bank, you know, yeah. um, stupid me not knowing or not having enough education is that, uh, black people have lawyers, no lawyers have lawyer friends that help you and stuff like that. They have lawyers on retainers so they can help you in this regard. Um, um, the legal matters, remember the banks have got deep pockets, so mm. they, 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 they can afford those lawyers. But for us, it's like, we, we, we don't know what to do. I've had my car repossessed also. 
that's not an issue. I didn't want to lose my house, you know. And um, I was extremely fortunate that when I started working again in 2020, I managed to pay off my house. So at this moment in time, I'm only paying 57 rand, which is just to keep the bond uh, open, you know. So, I, like I mean, we the, the way life is designed is that we must live in debt. When you want a job, you need to have a car. How are you going to get a car if, you, if you're a student, you just came out of university or whatever? You need to go for vehicle financing and they take advantage of us. Where are you going to live? You can't rent forever uh, because for me, renting is a sunk cost. You know, if you're paying towards something and you want to own. I hear you, Tabo. I, I hear you loud and clear. And I'm glad that you were able to sort that situation out. Let me go to Lucas in Rustenburg. Hello, Lucas. Thank you so much for holding. Hello, Sister I'm very well. Thanks, and you, sir. Go ahead. Uh, there is a problem with these banks. They don't uh, respect the majority customers of which is who are uh, working uh, black people. And the credit, the way they give the credit, it, it goes with color. The people with color, they can get credit as they want. But every time the black person or some other color wants uh, money from the bank, they'll tell you that uh, you don't meet the criteria or maybe the affordability is not there. Mm. But even some people that you can see that they are not in your, your, your league because of their uh, color of skin, they always uh, get preference. Yeah. And even the people that come and, and dictate to take uh, the people uh, people properties and all the stuff is the white people. The sheriffs of the court, they also send the white people, not not the black people, to come and intimidate. I I hear you loud and clear, Lucas. And maybe, Tsepo, before we go into the news, you can just spend some time to educate us on this. What is the process from the time that I realize I can't pay to the time that repossession happens? What must actually unfold as a process, given the fact that it's actually not regulated by any specific legislation? But what is the process? Okay, so the first process, again, I think this was canvassed during the talks, is that the bank needs to get in touch with you to let you know that you are behind on your monthly bond um, or or, or repayment. Then the second step is that they now need to initiate um, consultations or um, back and forth. The back and forth that happens between you and the bank is to say that um, I can't afford that amount right now. I can only afford to pay X amount. How about we work it over that, that I pay a bit extra for this year just to cover the, the cost that is outstanding, and then we can go back to our original arrangement. Whatever arrangement it is that you need to make with the bank, keep that and also document it in the form of an email, text, whatever it is. Make sure that you have those back and forth. The third thing also is that when the bank says that you can go for debt counseling or, 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 or a debt restructuring or debt counseling, those are the ways in which the bank is trying to get you onto an alternative system as well. But it is their duty to let you know of all the alternatives um, that you have. Then fourthly, if, the, if, if those issues or those uh, um, instances that they've mentioned do not work for you or you cannot be... Um, um, you, you cannot uphold them, then it means then there's no more talks between you and the bank. And then at that point, the bank can then issue out a Section 129 letter of demand. This is very important because if the bank does not issue out this letter of demand, the Section 129 letter of demand, it means that the whole process in court will fall flat because it's a legal procedure that has to happen. Here, in this letter of demand, they need to inform you of your areas that... Um, 
this is the amount that you owe, this is the date that you need to um, pay this amount, mm. failing which, if you don't um, respond to us within 10 days, then we're going to take further legal action. After that, if you do not respond, then the matter then goes, obviously it, it gets escalated, where now you're going to get attorneys on the matter. This is when the issuing of the summons goes in. And again, the sheriff of the court will come to you um, with a document saying whatever court that the matter is being heard in, they'll give you a date for you um, to appear to say that this is the date, um, um, this is the document that you have, rather, sorry. You have 10 days or 15 days to respond to this. But obviously, some of the sheriffs don't actually explain all of these things. Mm. So they just give you that thick document with no explanation. But- Hold your breath there, Tepo. We're going to continue with the what to do. The process of foreclosure. Where it starts, where, it's gonna get, where it ends. We're going to give you enough time to expand on that. Just hold your breath there. We are at the point of when the sheriff comes to your house. Then what happens after that? We're going to continue with this conversation after 2 o'clock. Tweet Faith at Faith Mangope and hashtag Power Lunch. Indeed, that is the hashtag Power Lunch. I, I'm going to try to get through as many calls as possible, but we're going through with uh, Tepo Mujapilo from Mujapilo Attorneys about the process to foreclosure, right? We're talking here, if you've just joined us for the conversation, about foreclosures on your bonds and, and on your cars. What, under what circumstances can banks take your house because we're finding out this afternoon that many people are having their houses taken before even the process of foreclosure is completed we're also understanding that there's no specific legislation to speak to the very same foreclosure process that many people are being bullied when it comes to this foreclosure that and a lot of us don't know what our rights are in often cases and that unfortunately a lot of these banks are repossessing homes for a trivial amount that is owed. And that sometimes they've even got sell, uh, buyers on standby to buy your home. So how do you protect yourself? That's the conversation. Seppo, we, we pause for a little bit to go off to the news, but let's talk uh, uh, through from the time that when the sheriff comes. So you took us through until the sheriff comes. When the sheriff comes, then what happens? The sheriff comes. The sheriff is supposed to explain the document is supposed to give you the timelines that are stated in the document so that you can act in accordance with the document. Now, when you get the summons served on you, the sheriff will obviously say that you you need to sign somewhere if they find you. If they cannot find you, um, you'd find that some of the, the sheriffs actually leave it at your house or whatever domicilium um, you gave. And, and domicilium, I mean whatever address you gave the bank as you accepting all processes or notices coming from the bank. Now, the sheriff can also do that. That's a, it's a story for another day because we, you can obviously um, d- 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 dispute it in, in the event that you weren't served with the process personally. You can get to court and say that I wasn't served with the process personally and therefore whatever judgment was taken was incorrect. Now, moving along from the sheriff, the sheriff will, will give you the, the document. You then have 15 days to enter that intention to defend. Now, this is um, 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 what says once you receive the document, you that document, if you scrutinize it properly, is supposed to have a notice of intention to defend because that's what the courts have now 
um, um, requested, at least in the magistrate court, that a notice be there so that you can basically just take that template and then fill it in and then bring it into court. Now, once that process has, has uh, once you've entered an intention to defend, then the process or the communication with the bank's lawyers start. So the bank, um, you then have the responsibility to respond um, to the papers that were given to you to say that I saw in your summons that you say I owe this much. Um, I disagree or I agree, whatever process it is. Obviously, it's always better to speak to qualified attorneys to make sure that you can respond um, 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 correctly to the papers that the bank has given you. Mm. And once that response goes through, the bank also then has a, a right of reply based on whatever it is that you have responded in the summons. Only when that process is done and the matter goes to court where there's a set down date and the judge grants in the favor of the bank, do they then have what we call the order. That court order is the one that then allows them to um, get a warrant of, uh, of, of, of ejection, obviously against you, and also to say that this is a warrant of execution against the property um, in which you are staying in. And that process then is when the sheriff comes again to your house to say that this is the original court order. Here is a copy. Here is the warrant of execution. And you need to vacate this place um, or this this house by X um, um, amount of days. And we are basically taking control of your property. That is the long and short of the process. Yeah. It sounds like a lot. Yes, of course, Gerald, if you, if you want to add to that. It sounds like a whole process. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a couple of steps are being skipped here mm. if we don't pay attention um, as people. Gerald? Seppo, I think I want to ask you a question. Yeah. We're reading in the papers how squatters now, when you go on holiday, they can hijack your house and they can't mm-hmm. be evicted. Why is it no. so easy to evict someone who's living in their house by a bank when illegal people can take occupancy of the same property and the bank can't get them out? Um, am I missing something? Because I've always wondered why it's so easy to be ejected from your house, which, you had, which yes, the contract broke down and all things happened. Mm. Um, but for uh, squatters who come and come into your house, they can live there for years. Yo, you know, that is quite a difficult one. <laughs> Having dealt with many evictions um, in the office as well, um, I, I, the primary, let me just answer your question. So if you have a squatter, you leave, <clears throat> sorry, you go on holiday, you come back and you find squatters in your house. Um, there is a provision in the Police Act where you can claim trespassing within 48 hours um, of you having obviously discovered that there's people in your house and you just go to the police to say that here is my title deed or uh, um, any document sh- showing that you've got ownership. And then you say to them that I left this house um, maybe two days ago, a day ago, whatever it is. But within 48 hours, um, then the police actually given that authority to remove you from the property on a prima facie evidence that you show that you are the owner, that you haven't um, um, left um, um, the, the property or that these people are trespassing, essentially. That's what you say. But the eviction process is so ridiculed with um, a lot of processes that obviously protect the, the, its, a, it's, serve, its purpose is to protect the indigent client mm-hmm. where... If you are suffering or if you are elderly, a woman with children or pregnant, 
the Pi Act protects you because of your status in society. Now, the Pi, the Eviction Act, it, it works. It works only when you invoke the provisions that you're supposed to, but it seems long-drawn because it's avoiding people taking um, the law into their own hands. Tsebo, I'd like us to put a pin on that, a very important pin, because that needs to be a topic of conversation on its own. But just mm. a quick question to follow on for what, what Gerald is saying. If I'm pregnant, can the bank still do the same things to me around foreclosure? Well, you know, it's what we call in mitigation. So I had a client of mine um, where the, 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 the bank was foreclosing on her property. It's obviously her primary residence. Um, she was pregnant, about to give birth. And all of those we submitted to the bank as mitigation to say, bank, we are not, in, we are not saying that um, she doesn't owe. Yes, we are aware that there are areas on the property. These are the alternatives that we have tried to converse with the bank. And these are the issues that we want the court to deal with in mitigation. Now, in a court setting, the court has a limited discretion um, depending on the circumstances of each case. And that's why the judges will judge it according to the circumstance of the case that is before them. Now, if you have some sort of what we call an exceptional circumstance where you are pregnant, about to give birth, heavily pregnant, or whatever issue that the court can deem exceptional, then the court can actually um, rule differently. Either they prolong your stay in the house or they even say that you know what um we understand the personal circumstances therefore um we can um 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 rule rather that you keep the house and then let the bank um deal with um a, a restructuring whatever it, it, it but it is in very limited circumstances but it's not far-fetched you can, as a result of your personal circumstances that are exceptional, um, stay the effect of the order or even have the order not be made in your name at all um, for, 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 for the bank to foreclose on your property. Wow. Um, I, I do see, and, and I'm just going to say, I see so many calls that we need to take, and I do apologize that we cannot get to all of you, but I do appreciate the fact that you were able to call in this afternoon and want to be a part of the conversation. I'm going to go to Mandla. I don't have any more time left, but Mandla and Rudaput, thank you so much for holding so long. Uh, please go. Uh, let's see if we can get you some help this afternoon. Hi, good afternoon, uh, Faith. Uh, love the show again. Thank I, you, I think, Faith, you, you just need a week a week long show regarding <laughs> the banks and what is going on. Mm. I'm just going to touch on two things. One, it's just what my personal experience, uh, obviously with the banks. Uh, I used to work and live in the U.S. and I used to commute between South Africa every five months, every three months I'll come. Um, but the point that I want to make, there's a caller and one of the panelists that said, never ignore the love letters that you receive from the banks mm. and the courts. At one point, I was like, I wait for five months, and then I come back. When I got back, then I was called in to say, there's a letter from West Bank, they want to take your car. I knew that I was away for five months, and I was obviously four or five months behind with my payment. But let me tell you something that I did that most of us are very scared to do. I took those papers. I went to court on the date, high court, on the date, I knew very well that I'm not, I cannot just walk in at the high court. But I went, I went to the court. I find the, 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 the attorney from, from West Bank. It was West Bank. I said, let's go to the judge's chambers. 
We went to the judge's uh, chambers. The, you know what the judge did? Mm. Case me said, Mr. Lamini, can you leave here? We are not allowed. Go and get an attorney. But the matter was postponed until I was able to sort out everything and the, the, the bank was, was paid with the, with the area. But the point that I want to make that is very serious for every listener that is listening today, there is something fundamentally wrong with the banking system. There is serious investigation that has been concluded at the moment in the UK by Justin Worst. That investigation is showing the South African banks that they developed this model and they are selling this model around the globe in terms of that. Now, the judiciary system is also taking part in this madness that the financial institutions of this country uh, are doing. And it is not good for citizens in the African continent, not only in South Africa. I will give you just another madness that has just happened. Just before I came on end now, I wrote a letter to one of these red uh, uh, banks, which basically they have sent their attorneys, Webb and Wenzel, to intimidate me about the interview I, that I did with a guest that was, I, was accusing them of using fraudulent uh, uh, court orders to liquidate his business and, 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 and take his product. But I'm not scared because I know my rights and I know my legal rights in the community, and I can fight it on my own without no problem. Mandla, I want to pause it from there. I wish, and you're right, I wish I could have a week with this, but I think conversations like this open up our minds to how much we as citizens should not take what is just given to us. Because just because it's coming in from a financial institution does not make it right. And note, when they approved your bond, as well. You became a client. I think something happens to us where we no longer see ourselves as a client which should be respected and we start seeing ourselves as slaves which should be abused. That's not okay. And I'm hoping that through these conversations we can understand just how many rights we have as a citizenship of this country. And I hope that we were able to unlock that potential within us so that we are able to use our rights ask the questions, interrogate the the contracts. And in instances, to Gerald's point, say no. No. But also answer the phone when they do call. The only way we're going to win is if we actually answer the phone. But this is not going to be the last time we keep having conversations of this nature because ultimately we need to be able to build our rights as citizens in this country. We can no longer live as if we are renting in a land that belongs to us. But it begins with the way in which we see ourselves. So I do thank you, King Sibia, for your contribution. Tsepo Mojapilo, always a pleasure. Kwanda Vabaza, thank you for being part of the family. And Mr. Manabira, good to see you in the studio in the flesh. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you to you as well for all your calls. I know I couldn't get through all of them, but I'm hoping that we were able to help you today. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.